Welcome to the Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate podcast, where you hear the good, the bad, and the ugly of how real estate agents overcame challenges and grew their business. Check out the episode notes at crushitinre.com slash podcast. Now here's your host, Lindsay Favaza. Welcome back to the Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Favaza, and I am here with one of my favorite people. And I know I say this a lot, but she truly is one of my favorite, favorite people. I've only known her for a few years, but I feel like I've known her forever. She's one of those types. So I am here with Leslie Stores Tondro. So nice to have you on here with me. Thank you so much for joining us today. What an honor and a privilege. Thank you for having me. Of course, we can't have a podcast called Agents Who Crush It without having you. So it was long overdue, my friend. So I want to start off by the usual way that we usually start these, which is I like to hear how you got into real estate and what that backstory is. I know you and I discussed a little bit before, and I already knew that you were a teacher, but I didn't know you were a computer teacher specifically. But take us back to those early days and kind of what got you into real estate and how that morphed for you. Oh, sure. Well, let's see. Um, From when I was little, I always wanted to be a teacher. So um, when I went to school, I I actually majored in geography and geology and got my teaching degree. So I kind of had multiple things, but kind of cool. I was able to, um, in one of my college classes, I was actually able as a senior to teach Geography 101, get credits for that for both geography and teaching. So that was kind of cool. And when I got out of college, I tried to get a teaching job and realized that I needed to have a master's degree. Well, you need money to pay for a master's degree. So I went and worked in a travel agency for about four years while I got my master's, which was pretty awesome. Um, And then I got my first real teaching job, which was very exciting. Um, And I had two one-year positions and then nine years as a computer teacher in Townsend, Massachusetts, Middlesex district. And I was enjoying it. I was in. I was loving it. Um, I loved teaching. I loved interacting with the students and the teachers. And you know, my job was to um, integrate technology with whatever curriculum we were doing. So I would work with the teachers and, and put that together. And then, um, unfortunately, so related, my parents had gotten into real estate while I was in college, um, late '80s, and then in early '90s they took over a brokerage and became brokers um, with a Century 21 office and ran that for multiple years. But I was not able to, you know, I was a teacher, I had summers off, but I was not able to answer the telephone in the office because the rules are you can't give any information unless you have a real estate license. So I said, well, forget that. I'm going to go get my license. I actually didn't tell my parents I was doing it. Um, And my father would get a fax. My father ran a real estate school as well. And once a week, he would get a fax from the state of the people who got their license that week. Oh, yeah. So one one day he called me. He's like, "Ah, I got this fax. Either there's uh, another Leslie Stores. your, Your name's on it. So I said, well, dad, if you go to the filing cabinet, you know, look in this file, you know, here's my application, you know, and that must have made him so happy. I believe it did. I believe it did. Him and mom both. Um, But I had no interest in doing real estate. I just got it so I could help them out. You know, I used to help them with computer related things in the office, you know, make their PowerPoint of active listings that sat in the front window for anyone going by. I love that. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's old school. 
Uh, I have a whole bunch of old school things that I've. We're going to get know. into that in a second because I think that that's so, such <laughs> a fun sure thing to talk about I'm for sure. sure. We will. So, unfortunately, in um, 2004, my father was diagnosed with cancer. So I went to the school department and asked for a leave of absence. I asked for a year off um, so that because my dad was going to have a bone marrow transplant. So could I please have a year off to either be at the office so my mom could be at the hospital or be at the hospital so my mom could be at the office, whatever. And they said no. And it was it was pretty devastating. Like I was going to leave my career like I I was. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but my family is more important. So. How uh, how ironic that six months earlier I had gotten my license wow, before this timing. happened. It was all meant right? to be. Yeah. Weird, weird. Best thing I ever did. When I saw that superintendent several years later, I went and shook his hand and told him so. And Thank he kind of looked at me like, what? You know, honestly, best thing I could do. Nine years I got to spend working in the office with both my parents before my dad passed away. Yeah. And I learned a ton. Um from him, from my mom, a lot of experience. And in 2019, I needed a change. I approached Anthony and, and Lemister office was always in his plans. I think I just moved up his timeline a little bit by saying that tends to happen. Time. That happened in Florida. Yeah. That happens, you know, if he's yep. got his eyes set on one, but then he finds someone who he knows will help, then it's just going to move that plan up sooner. Well, I'll tell you from having the conversation with him to opening the doors of this office was five weeks and fabulous. Never looked back. Love it. So that's kind of my transition in a nutshell. Love it. So over the last few years, you've been on average between about 30, 40 sales since you've been with us at least. So, um, and those have been obviously some good years in real estate and so on. But I know you had mentioned that this year has been a little bit more difficult because of, you know, deals falling through and stuff like that. So I want you to talk to our audience about this because I do think there's a lot of people who maybe have only been in the business for those three or four years that things have been so magical um, and they just don't understand how this kind of these things happen and what these changes are. So talk to me a little bit about the things that you're kind of seeing this year and what are the, some of the things you're doing to kind of overcome that? Sure. Well, you know, obviously the back in the spring, uh, trying to get an offer accepted was like an act of God. Um, when you had 30, 40, 60 people submitting offers on the same property and like you were, you know, (laughs) offering your firstborn and it didn't make a difference. Um, there's nothing we can do about that. We can do the best we can. We can use all the skills we have to make the offer as good as we can. We can, you know, protect the buyers with all the the clauses we can. But sometimes there's nothing we can do about it. I have had, I think, nine or 10 already this year fall apart for whether it be increase in interest rates and they no no longer qualify. Um, I, I had one. I had one, unfortunately, where the buyer passed away in the middle of the transaction. Um, I've had a couple. Oh, my. It, oh that, that was devastating. Absolutely yeah. devastating. Oh my you God, know? how um, awful. I, I've, had, I've had some that just, just didn't work, you know? Um, and there's nothing you can do about it. I've had a couple of, you know, divorce situations where they hadn't gone through far enough in the process to be free enough to purchase, you know, their new home and got tied up in the the length of time it took to go through the court process. You know, it's just all of these things are out of my control. So I can stress about them. I mean, of course, it's upsetting and you can stress about it and you can, you know, say, wow, that really stinks. 
but if you can't control it, you gotta move on. Like you gotta, gotta yeah. if there's no way to fix it, stop banging your head on the wall. Cause then you're just getting a big bruise, you yeah. know? Um, so you, I'm not an easy giver upper. I'll tell you that. But if it gets to the point that you can't do it, you gotta move on. Unfortunately. Yeah. And you can't let it get to you. Like if the, if you can't control it, if it's nothing you did and it's, you know, just the way it is that you can't, you can't internalize it too much. You just can't. I mean, that's like anything in life, really, when it comes down <laughs> to it, uh, you want to prepare as much as you can. You want to do what you can to be, um, you know, ahead of these types of things. But then at the end of the day, there's really so much that's out of our control. Um, you can't control interest rates. You can't control, you know, you can't, you can't control those kind of things, but you can stay on top of the information so that you know what's sure. coming. You can be a little bit. So tell me as far as like, cause obviously you're, a very experienced agent. I like to say that. I don't want anyone to be like, oh, she's been in the business for a long time, right? Like you are experienced for a lot of the people out there that have really only been in the business for a few years. So what has changed in real estate from back in the day and to now, oh. right? And then like, what is really tried and true in the same? So like, obviously there's these cycle, cycles that happen in the business. And I think that what we're seeing now is a very different kind of cycle than we've seen. It's obviously, you know, still a shift. It's a downshift yeah. in the market kind of thing, which we've seen before, but it's for different reasons now than it used to be. So explain to me how, you know, that those things have changed, what's similar, what's different, that kind of thing. So, well, so many things have changed. Um, when I came into real estate, got my license, there was no MLS yet. Like, I mean, there was, excuse me, there was an MLS, but it wasn't on the computer and you couldn't access everything. There was literally a book that came out once a month. And then every week they would have like a little supplement. I really um, want you to find this book and take a picture with it so we can put it in the show notes so people can just I see the book. I absolutely will. I thought it was on my bookshelf. <laughs> I'm going to find it. I'll yeah. find it and I'll show it to you. Um, but you as the agent had all the power, you had all the information. They wanted to look at houses. They had to come to you. You could not give them the book because then you wouldn't have it. And that would just be like, that'd be like forgetting your phone. Like, How often was this book printed? Once a month was the big book was maybe an inch. And then once a week, there was a supplement. Um, and it had all the new listings, the price changes, stuff like that. But each listing had a block like this big and it had one picture and it had very basic information, bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage. When was it built? Acreage and a teeny little description. I feel like the newspaper would have been a more accurate place to get your information then because a month, I mean, that just doesn't seem like enough time. <laughs> that just, that's what you got. That's wow. what you got. And the, the buyers had to come with you and like, look at the book. You could photocopy pages for them. They had to actually physically come in. Well, then I think it was only about a year and a half after I got my license that MLS went internet. Like, yep. That was a big deal. Yep. And that was in some ways that was the beginning of a, the most massive change, I think, because yeah. there was so much information that went out there over all the feeds. And that was before the Zillow's and the Trulia's and, you know, all those other places. Um, but they actually did get access to the MLS and you could, you know, get the information much more readily, much more um, updated. You didn't have to wait for the book. Like literally somebody would have to drive before I got my license. That was one of the things I did for my parents. I would have to drive to the realtor board once a week and pick up the box of books. 
I love it. To bring it back. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's the thing you, you had this MLS go online first and that was still, they still, the buyers and sellers still needed to come to you. So yeah. then Zillow comes on the map and now they've made yeah. it so that this information is readily available straight to the customer. So it it's definitely huge, put huge a difference. little bit of fear into a lot of agents too. So, you know, how do you think that the industry kind of made it through that? Cause obviously it is very, very, it's very obvious like now that, you know, Zillow yeah. was wrong on a lot of their estimates and things happened with Zillow yeah. that made it so that they weren't as trustworthy as they used to be. So how do you think that, um, you know, we kind of made it through that. Like realtors in general, I think they kind of persisted and just made it so that you have to use a real, you still have to use a realtor. <laughs> you still do. And I think one of the best things is to educate yourself, you know, before I would go when, when Zillow was first a thing and it, they were considering it, you know, gospel, um, I would go and look on Zillow and see what the Zestimate said for a property before I went to a listing appointment. So I would know what it said, because of course, every seller thought that it was just the way it was. Yep. Um, but you you have you had to learn how to explain to them your worth as an agent and what your role in the transaction was and the list of, you know, 142 things that you're going to do through the transaction. Um, but you also had to learn how to talk to them, educate them. That's part of our job, too. And, you know, it kind of ties into being a teacher. Um, educate them on the market, the stats, the process, the expectations, you know, all of that. And the more you do that, the more you, it's part of building the rapport, building the trust, but the more information you give them as the actual expert in the field, you know, that matters and, and proves your professionalism. And more than ever now. So I feel like that's something that technically has changed because before they knew they needed you because they couldn't get any of this information anywhere else. Right. Now they could go to anybody that sells homes that, you know, their cousins, brothers, uncles, dog groomer who <laughs> sells homes yeah. on the side. I mean, they, yeah, on the side. They, oh like, God, don't get me into that one. Exactly. So like they feel like they can just kind of like do whatever. And then sometimes, you know, for sale by owners, still such a big thing too. So it's like, that's the thing. I feel like that's something that has definitely shifted is that you really do need to show them what your value is now, as opposed to before Absolutely. where they really looked at you as the expert. Right. We've always had to do that, you know, we, and, and there are some sellers that it's more critical than others. Um, I think where, where a lot of the shift happened um, too was proving to buyers how important it was that they need a buyer agent. Yeah, they can get all the information online. They can call up the listing agent and say, I want to buy that house. But, but who's they don't representing have you? Yeah. Yeah. Then they don't have anybody on their side. So to prove that too, you know, it's, it's a big deal to, you know, be their advocate, be on their team. I would describe it like the baseball team. You know, both sides have a coach. Both sides have a dugout full of players and both sides have a coach. So do you want me to be your coach and be in your dugout or do you want me to be in the other dugout? Or do you want me to be a facilitator and be that guy in the black and white shirt in field who just makes sure everybody plays nice and follows the rules, but doesn't really care who wins? So what do you want? You you need that coach. You don't want to go head you to do. head with that team without you do. having We're someone all on in a your team. And you know, that it. team includes the relationships and the trust and the rapport and everything with the lenders, the insurance companies, the attorneys, you know, the appraisers, you know, it, it, you are our, our admin team, like it's all a team. And if yep. you don't have a team, you kind of, 
out in left field by yourself. Let's take a quick break to hear from the number one loan originator, Sean Bonosian of Guaranteed Rate, as he gives us his latest mortgage tip. When applying for a mortgage on a condominium, the condo has to go through a separate approval. Some common things that go into the approval that a lender will review are the following. We're gonna review the condo docs, which is the master deed and the bylaws. We're gonna review the master insurance on the building to make sure it's properly set up. We're gonna review the budget to make sure it's healthy, that there's enough income coming into the association and all the important expenses are covered for, and there's no deficit there. We're gonna make sure it's covered for reserves in the future to make sure if anything comes up, the condo association is gonna be able to cover those expenses. We're also gonna look at the meeting minutes to find out what the unit owners are talking about, what future projects are coming up, if there's any issues. We wanna make sure that uh, the association is running and functioning properly. So. We're gonna cover master deed bylaws, we're gonna look at the budget, we're gonna look at the master insurance, we're gonna look at the meeting minutes. That's what you should know that a lender is gonna cover on a condominium review. Thanks, Sean. Now let's get back to the show. All right, I wanna actually shift to this because this is a good segue segue into my next question. And I didn't prep you with this question, so here Uh-oh. you go, buckle up. <laughs> what is it that someone should look for in a brokerage? When they're looking for a broker, your parents were both brokers. So you grew up with their expertise and their the experience that you had with them and what they did. And then you worked at other brokerages. We'll just leave it at that. And then you worked now with us. I just, you know, it's not a case of us wanting to puff our chest by any means, but I truly want to know from an experienced agent's perspective, what are the things that someone should look for in a brokerage when trying to decide which ones to choose or whether or not they need to make a switch or any of those things? Okay. Great. Great. So do you mean from the consumer side or from an agent side? I mean, from an agent side, if an agent is thinking to themselves, you know, I'm not sure if I'm in the right spot. I might need a change. I'm stuck in my business. Maybe I want to like figure out a new partner, you know, a new team, if you will, going back to the baseball example. So what is it that someone should consider? And in your experience where you've been with, you know, like I said, your family, and then you've been with other brokerages and things like that. Like what are the things that someone should look for when picking a brokerage? Honestly, I think someone who is open to conversation about becoming, staying relevant, moving toward relevancy for the future and putting the agents first, but in a good way, not just, yeah, agent, whatever you want, whatever will make you happy, you know, we'll give you 97 and a half percent, you know, and we'll give you everything else for free. No, 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 no. It's not about, it It can't all be about the money. Kind of like when you meet with a seller and you, and they say, well, how much is the offer? No, it, it's not just the number. We got to talk about all the terms. Same kind of thing when you're looking at a brokerage. Um, you have to look at the whole picture. You know, everybody says they have education. They don't all mean it. You know, sometimes their education is, oh, sit and watch this this video or read this book or find this link or whatever. You want somebody who is truly going to give you education, whether it be statistics, scripts, um, processes, like the roadmap tools of how do you, not just how do you get a buyer, how do you find the leads, um, but how do you nurture that process all the way through and make sure you're not missing anything. A company where someone is actually truly available for an agent who has questions. I mean, I'm 19 years licensed. I still have questions. I still sometimes need somebody to reach out to. Um, Somebody who is actually going to respond. I think one of the most important things is a company where, and I mean this very 
respectfully to those who who are in a different position, brokers who the broker himself herself does not compete with the agents. The broker um, is more of a resource, is more of a leader, is more of a business promotion, you know, not promotion, uh, creating the business, you know, enhancing the business, building the business as a company, but who is available to you, who can be your backup for bouncing something off of, um, but also not, you're not going to have that issue of, you know, feeling like you're being, I don't know, sort of second class to the broker. Conflict, it's a conflict of interests in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, I really, I really think it is. I really yeah. think it is. And, you know, the broker runs the business. The agents do the day-to-day business with the, the customers, you know. Um, honestly, it's, it's also a feeling. Um, and I know that sounds really cheesy, but it's a feeling like I, I used to teach pre-licensed classes all the time. People would ask me, how do I know what's the right company? I would say to them what I would say for like finding an attorney, finding a, a home inspector to my clients, call three, four, meet with them, talk with them, see what your gut tells you. Where do you feel like you fit in? Um, and Honestly, now that we uh, we we all use like Yelp and TripAdvisor and stuff, call the other agents who work there, have conversation with them, um, see what they say. You know, if they're like, oh, yeah, it's good versus like, oh, my God, yeah, you wouldn't I mean, believe it. Like, I, you know, I, will, <laughs> I actually love when companies call me now and try and recruit me and there's nowhere I'm going. You know, I and I've you said can recruit I'll, them. <laughs> you know, I try. I've done a few. <laughs> um, I actually recruited a recruiter for another company who's coming in as an agent. So that's kind of exciting. Love it. Love it. I know. Um, so honestly, it's it's whatever it's right for you. I yep. think having a physical brick and mortar presence is very important. Now, that's another way that things have changed quite a bit. You asked me that question before. I am very old school. I am in the office a lot. You know, my dad always taught me you go to work, you know, and whatever your hours are nine to five, or, you know, maybe you do a half day, whatever, but you go to work. There's a difference between work and home. I am horrible working at home. Other people excel at it. I am awful at it. Totally admit it. So when I'm not, you when I'm in the office a lot, Monday to Friday, sometimes even Saturday or Sunday, because it's super quiet and it's just so nice to catch up on things. Um, but I've had other people say, well, why are you in the office all the time? You know, you can work from home. You know, we can work remotely. Yeah, you, you can. I can't. But I think it's really important. The more you're in the office, whether you're experienced or not, you hear what's going on with other agents. Um, you know, sometimes I've had business from people walking in the office. Oh, my gosh, that's old school. But it works sometimes. You know, we had a gentleman come in from out of town. I need to sell my dad's house, walked into the office, need to sell my dad's house. I'm only in town for two days. Is there someone here who can help me? You know, we have an office rotation. Um, happened to be my turn. It was perfect. You know, he said, yeah. here's the key. I said, but I haven't seen the house yet. And he says, I don't care. I like you. Let's I don't go. care. You're it. And I got very <laughs> limited time. <laughs> right. So I, I think I think having a, a brick and mortar and office space um, where you can collaborate and interact. I think that's really important. The more relationships you make, you know, with your, again, your agents, your agent colleagues, your appraisers, your um, 
lenders, it's much easier to interact or if you have an issue in the future to call up somebody you know and say, hey, I need your help than to call up some person you don't know who has, you know, you you haven't proven yourself or whatever. Yeah, for sure. All right. My last question for you. This has been fantastic. But my last question for you. I mean, this is the last one, but I feel like we could talk about this one for a while. So, Um, (laughs) but this is all about marketing. So, you know, that's my favorite subject. Um, So I want to talk to you about marketing, how you've marketed yourself over the years, what things have been the same, what things you've changed up, what's working for you, what hasn't worked for you. I want to hear all the things when it comes to your marketing strategy. So hit me with it. Oh, well, you know, until the last three years, I, I, oh God, you're going to yell at me for this, but I didn't really have a strategy. I just kind of tried stuff. I'm not going to yell at you. You have it under control now. So that's all that matters. (laughs) Right. Well, thank goodness for you. Um, But I didn't really have a strategy. I just tried things and some of them worked and some of them didn't. And if they didn't, I didn't do them again. You know, at least I learned that way. Um, You know, we all get the calls from the, you know, hey, we want to feature you on the carts at the grocery store. And here's your face and all your contact information. Yeah, not a single, not a single call from that. Okay. Um, Once I, I was a sponsor on the city's website. I thought that would be great. Everybody's going to look at the city website. website. (laughs) Yeah, no, it didn't happen. No, no, but it, it looked great. It looks fantastic. Good branding. Um, it's good for branding. Very sometimes, good branding. Sometimes very it's good something, branding. something's not necessarily a, I'm going to get a bunch of calls, but it's good to just have your face out there. So, I mean, I think Absolutely. all of those things are are good. I mean, we Absolutely have billboards all over the state of Massachusetts, always. And we don't necessarily get calls or leads directly from them. I know we do get yes. some, but like most of the time it's, you know, they reacted to a postcard because they saw the billboard 17 times and then they saw the postcard and then they called on the postcard. You know what I mean? So it's like, it sometimes can just be a good branding thing as well, but continue. Well, that goes back to your previous question, because what's another thing you should look for in your brokerage? It's a recognizable brand, you know, yes. and Lamakia has, it, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it, whether it's TV or the billboards or the signs. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you how much I love when I see somebody that I haven't seen in a while. And they're like, ah, I see your signs all over the place, you know. Like, oh, I mean, you? if you're That's in great. New England, you definitely know who yeah. we are. And then it's yes. funny. We were just in Florida last week for the crushed event that we had down there. And I think we are definitely making our presence known in South Florida now oh, yeah. as well. So it's it's one of those things you just have to get the name out there. And again, you might not be getting a million phone calls on that piece of content that you put someplace, whether it's a billboard, whether it's a Facebook ad, whether whatever the thing is, but just getting your name out there and making sure that it's branding. So everybody should think of it as a, you should have a budget for your face, right? You should have a budget for just getting your name out there and making sure people know who you are. But then after that, then you do the stuff that, you know, makes the the needle move. So what are the things that you're doing that you have gotten leads from that you, that have been successful for you? You know, what a silly thing didn't cost me a penny. Well, no, it does. It's cost me every year, but in a good way, I wear my realtor pin all over the place. I don't necessarily wear my name tag, but I wear my realtor pin. And I have had four or five transactions literally just from wearing my pin. Like I've had three different transactions from people who work at the grocery store. And I always go to the same grocery store. So like there was a guy at the deli counter, young man, you know, who would see my pin and ask me a question over about six months. He would ask me questions 
over and over and over. Um, and then finally he got to the point where he was like, you know, I, I really think I'm ready to meet with somebody, you know, find out if I can qualify, you know, thank you so much. And I mean, it's just a little one inch pin, you know, it's, it's just a an tiny little pin. Not a lot of people wear pins these days though. So I feel like it sticks out. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. And it, yeah. but it's not like in your face, you know, no. I, I'm not a, I'm not a pushy person. I can be, I can be a bulldog, but I'm not pushy, if that makes yeah. sense. You're not a salesy um, person. It's not even just like pushy because pushy sounds really aggressive, but like you're just not a sales person. You are in my mind, you are that teacher. You're a I teacher. Am. You're someone who's there to guide someone like I would go to you as a resource to know what you know, not necessarily like I feel like you know, some agents that get so into like sales, it's very salesy and some people that strategy works for them, but like, right. that's just definitely not you. Right. Well, and, and that's kind of the approach I've taken with social media too. Yep. I know I could post more things. Um, but I, I had one friend from high school who actually unfriended me because he said I posted too much real estate. No, this was years ago. This is not recent. Okay. Cause I've Bye. learned a lot. Yeah. But, but I, I called him up one day and said, you know, Hey, why are we not friends anymore? And he says, I just didn't want to see the real estate stuff. Didn't want to see it. Now that was kind of before business profile. So it was a little bit yeah. different, different time. Yeah. Um, but I, I heeded that, you know, and you know, I, I believe it's three to one is the That's suggestion, perfect. right? Yep. Three personal yep. to one real estate. Love it. Um, but I'm also just kind of not in, in your face about it. You know, I wear my little realtor pen. Um, I am a realtor all the time. I'm more than happy to have conversation with anybody about it, but I'm also not going to be in their face. Um, Very, 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 very important that you do keep in touch with people who you've worked with in the past, whether they ended up buying or selling or not, or, you know, maybe it wasn't the right time, but you don't call them up and say, hey, I haven't talked to you in a year. You ready to buy a house? Yeah. No, you call them up and say, you know, hey, I was just going through my files. I was just, actually, I've done it recently where I've driven by somebody's house and like, hey, just drove by your house, realized I haven't talked to you in a while. How are you? You know, and have the conversation. Or I had, I have one cute little set of buyers couple and there's a house I saw with a coming soon sign as I was driving around town and called them and said, look, I know you said you're going to wait, but you might want to take a drive by this house. And they're like, Oh, thank you so much for looking out for us. That's not ramming it down their throat. That's a, I was thinking of you, you know, and just kind of touching base. Absolutely. I do a lot of that. I said that this was my last question, but I actually have one more. Um, so my actual last question is I want to find out what your key to success is. We talked about this before we truly started and hit record, but I want to make sure that people hear this because I feel like your answer here is very applicable to many, many people and they should all be doing this same thing. So talk to me about what your key to success has been in this business. So I could sum it up by saying consistency. Now that's being true to yourself, being consistent with what you feel is the right, you know, thing to do. Um, Standing your ground. If you try to get bullied by a buyer or a seller, especially a seller right now, we're going to have to be tough on our pricing um, going forward. You have to give them a realistic expectation of of what their property is worth. And sometimes you have to tell them the information they don't want to hear. And that's okay. That's your job. Like you shouldn't, 
I had one recently. I mean, it happens to me too. I had one recently. I told the woman I thought her house was worth about 500,000. And she said, well, thank you very much. I, I think I can do better. And I saw it on MLS a week later for 700. God bless her. You know, good luck. Whoa. Good luck. I know. Did that but house sell? I, I'm, I'm not going to, what? Did that house sell? No, it's still sitting there. And, oh, and hopefully so when it expires, she'll call me back and say, all right, now let's talk. Yep. Um, but you got to be consistent and you have to be the professional. I think one of the best things that, again, my father taught me is you have to communicate with your buyers and sellers. You can't be that agent who lists the property and puts the sign in the yard, and the lockbox on the door, and they never hear from them again. Um, you know, National Association of Realtors did a, a survey on it. What's the what's the biggest complaint you have about your agent? And maybe not so much recently because the market's been a little different, but you, you have to reach out to your sellers. Now, if we get into a situation where we're getting into longer days on market and not a lot of showings and not a lot of activity, it's, it can be super awkward to call your sellers and say, Oh, I have nothing to tell you, but you have to do it. You have to know how to make the uncomfortable calls and keep in communication. Um, my rule has always been Wednesdays. Every when I tell my buyers, my sellers, every Wednesday, you will get an update from me. And it may be, a, you know, another change from old school. It may not be a telephone call. It may be a text, maybe an email, ask the client, whatever is better for them. How do they want to get an update? Could be a market report. It could be a, here's an article I read that helps you understand you're not alone in this market, Mr. Seller. Um, it could be, uh, you know, here's a list of other properties in your neighborhood that have recently gone under agreement, you know, um, here's what we're looking at. You know, I know that when we listed, there was nothing in your neighborhood, but now it's a month later and here's the new information, you know, and it, it could just be a, what do you want to do, Mr. Seller? You know, let's talk about it. Sometimes it, having those conversations and building more of that trust and rapport, because obviously they chose you as an agent for a reason. They saw something in you they wanted to work with. So continue that be consistent, set the expectation and be their resource. And it doesn't matter if it's an inexpensive home, an expensive home, somebody who has 82, you know, relatives and friends that they might refer you to. You just be the same person and treat them all the same and just set that level of service uh, that you're going to give. And honestly, the more you do that, the more you treat everybody the same, everybody gets the same service. They all feel like they're your only client, the better it's going to do for you in the future. I love it so much. You are an absolute joy to talk to and to know. <laughs> and I know that our listeners got a whole bunch from you today. I hope you all were taking notes because you can learn a lot from this one. So thank you so much, Leslie, for spending the time with me and for educating everybody that listened today. I really, really appreciate your knowledge. Oh, you made it super easy. Thanks for letting me. And I'm happy to share. Anybody who knows me knows I will just talk anytime. We will put into the show notes some contact information for you just so that people have a chance. If they want to, they can reach out with questions or anything like that. I know that, um, you know, there are specific agents that I would do that with. And I think you're one of those people that is always so well willing and, and welcoming to other agents and giving advice and stuff like that. Absolutely. You're a teacher. You're a teacher. I know. I can't help it. You can't help <laughs> it. You like to help people. So thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. You never miss an episode and we will see you in two weeks. Thanks so much. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate podcast. We hope you learned some valuable takeaways. Be sure to take action and grow your business. You can check out the episode notes and more content from the show at crushitandre.com slash podcast. And if you like this episode and want to hear more stories, please share with others. Post on social media or leave a rating or review. To catch the latest from Anthony, follow him on Instagram at Crush It in Real Estate on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.